when I was a kid, a fox got into our hen house. I know that sounds like a fable or something, but it's true. It happens all the time. We were all sleeping, and the hens were in for the night. It must have been quite a racket, but we didn't hear them on account of we were all asleep. The next morning, I heard my mother scream, and when we ran out to see what happened, Mom tried to keep us away, but we ran past her. There's a bloody mess. Feathers everywhere, chicken parts, broken eggs. We were devastated. We asked what had happened to all our hens, the ones we had raised from little eggs. But she just said, the fox got them. We said looked like it had to be a bunch of foxes. One fox would never eat that many chickens. She just shook her head, pointed to the snow. Foxes don't hunt in packs, she said. They go at it alone. See there, just one set of footprints. He didn't want to eat all those chickens. He just wanted to hunt. We didn't understand. They didn't do anything. They didn't hurt anybody, the chickens. But they still paid the price for being what they were. Prey. That was 30 years ago, and I almost forgot about it. But then this happened. Four people killed in cold blood in their own house while they all slept. And all I could think was, it must have been a fox. To us, they were neighbors, you know? They weren't in the papers. They didn't fight at church or even yell at the waitress at the Waffle House. They're part of the landscape. Like the street lights or the houses or the trees. They're just people to us. But to him, they weren't people at all. Their prey. A lot of people will tell you that's the scariest part, that it was so violent, but that's not it. Not really. You see violence all the time. Neighbor down the street found out that his wife was cheating, so he tied her to the water heater, covered her in gas from the lawnmower, and lit a match. Worst part is that she survived. I bet she wishes she had. Then there was the lady who couldn't handle her kids, so she drowned them in the bathtub one by one. Awful. Oh, and that young man who was giving local girls drugs and raping them at parties, beat him up real good too. One of them died. Then he put all of it on the internet for God and their parents to see. That stuff is violent. It's awful. It's scary. But it couldn't happen to you, you know? The person who did it had a plan, and you didn't know him. I don't think any of those people asked for what happened to them or anything, but what happened to them is deranged, but you could explain it. So didn't creep over into the rest of our lives. It stayed with them. There's no evidence that the fellow who did it ever had met those people. Just snuck in in the middle of the night and tore them apart. There's blood and body parts everywhere, but nothing was missing. He liked hurting people, watching them die. He liked scaring them and making them scream. He didn't need to kill them. He wanted to. Safety is a lie we tell ourselves. That's what my mother used to say. We're never really safe. We're probably not in the line of fire. But that's not accounting for all the times the gun jams. Makes you wonder. Kind of makes you want to shoot before you can be shot. It's like killing all seven chickens even though you can only eat one. 
like that fox in the hen house. Nothing in life is guaranteed. You can have everything. You can have nothing. You can be great or you can be awful. None of it matters. We're all gambling with our lives every minute. It's a risk for me just sitting at this table with you. And likewise, it's a risk for you just sitting at this table with me. <laughs> you think that's funny, do you? You look at me and you see a chicken. Happy on my roost, warming my eggs, not knowing enough to worry. You think that's what makes me feel safe. My own dumb inner chicken. But it's not. That's what helps you feel safe. Thinking I am exactly what I look like is what helps you sleep at night. You don't know anything about me. I might be sitting in the hen house, but so are you. And I closed the door behind me. Nobody in here but us chickens, right? So you can relax. But there's just one problem. I'm not a chicken. And you are not safe. Nobody suspects you when you're invisible. So how could they know that I am a fox and you are dead? I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. sorry I, I didn't know it was gonna be home invasion <laughs> yeah there's several of them in this one this is a, a weird topic we are talking about serial killer tommy Lindsells, which is a name that is not i mean maybe it does but i don't think it's gonna ring a bell for a lot of people i i don't know he is one of america's most prolific serial killers okay and we'll get into all his stats and his bio and all his stuff next week because, surprise, it's a two-parter. I have a question for you, Holly. Yes. What is America's least prolific serial killer? Well, anyone, I suppose, that has only killed three people. Okay. Because you have to kill three people to be a serial killer. Right. But, okay. So, so, like, three, like, minimum of three, and you're our least. hard three, and you're the least prolific serial okay. killer. Because I always wonder, because it's always one of our most this prolific guy, serial killers. I mean, this guy has 22 confirmed kills. Okay. And then they suspect there could be over 50 of them out there in the world. Okay. So, this is, like, a lot. This is yeah. a big, big one. A big one that I, and I, like, I... I'm so surprised I haven't really, this guy's name didn't ring a bell. One of the cases that is involved in his story, mm -hmm. I knew pretty well, but I did not know it was connected to a serial killer at all, which is so strange. Yeah, Somehow, I thought better of you. I know, me I thought better of me too, you know? Mm -hmm. I went into this week going, I want to do something easy with a twist that we can do in two parts because I'm leaving the country and this is, I, I gotta like be able to handle it. 
And I decided to take on like a giant case instead. As always. That's per usual. It is per usual. I was looking for a false conviction. That's what I wanted Mm -hmm. to do. I wanted to do a case where we were like, it was this person, fooled you. And then the next week we told the real story. And there is a false conviction in this one. There's just like a whole lot more. Okay. Too. So. All right. We should probably get into it. Yeah. Um, So I'm just going to go through this pretty quick. Uh, I'm heading overseas in two days. Yay. Yeah, I'm excited. And I'll be searching for the Krampus. My brain is already scrambled. So um, yeah, where are you going? I am going to Austria and Germany. I'm taking a cruise down the Danube River to see all the Christmas markets. Very nice. My sister-in-law is going to take me to a crime museum. I'm very excited. Awesome. There'll be... uh, I have all the internet and phones. So you guys, I'm sure we'll get pictures and weird TikToks and stuff. Great. Because I'm going to be like, none of my family is with me. My in-laws are with me, but not my husband or my children. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to know what to do with myself. Right. All you guys can reap the benefits. Great. But if I'm going to make all these weird videos, I'd really like to look nice, you know, because I don't want to go back and be like, oh, look at all these Mm -hmm. things I made. I look like Mm -hmm. a sea hag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe I'd try... Some baby's blood or the blood of our enemies. Yeah. But our chalice is still empty. It really is. Why is it not filling I don't, up? You know, I don't know. I don't I know mean, what I we've got, done wrong. I got some like last week, but like it I wasn't like enough. There's some sort of spell we need okay. to do yeah. or enchantment or something. But until we figure that out, how about we go with something that's a little more user friendly? A nice hot goblet of validation. A hill worth dying on. That's the one. And wouldn't you know it, our fiends can fill our chalices or goblets or whatever I said this week right from the comfort of their very own homes. Oh my God, how? But how, you must be asking yourself. Yeah. Psychic link every week. (laughs) Leslie is holding her face home alone style right now. (laughs) Tell me more. Well, I'll tell you. Head on on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support might equal one day more and better content for you or just an easier process for us. Awesome. Yeah, both are good. Yeah, I like it. Both are very good. But if you can't wait a minute longer for more We Would Be Dead in Your Life, well then lucky you, you don't have to. (gasps) Isn't that great? Yeah. You can simply support us over on Patreon. Oh, it's like a happy little chipper sound this week. I like it. I w- it's December. I'm going for elf-like. That's right. Oh, I have a really good Christmas myth for us this this year, too. Stay on track. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My medicine has worn off by now. <laughs> there for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-bit horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after-show post-mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. And um, if you want to know what 30-minute horror movies are, well, it's what we released last week as your Thanksgiving treat. We did Thanksgiving 3, which I I want to say is 100% the strangest and most twisted movie I've ever seen in my life. It's probably the best thing we ever released, too. Yeah. I think you're probably right about that. And we've mm-hmm. watched some bizarre movies. Yeah. That one takes the cake. Mm-hmm. So if you liked that, there's more where that came from. And hopefully in the new year, we'll make even more of them because those are pretty fun. Yeah, it's been a while. I know it has. We still have Twilight to get through. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I avoid Twilight so hard. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right. So also, if you're a patron, you'll get a special gift in the mail from us, some giveaways, merchandise deals, opportunities to Zoom with us and other cool patrons, an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts. You can share our posts. You can like and share our posts if you're feeling saucy. Leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell that one person at your Thanksgiving table who likes homemade whole cranberry sauce. Oh, God, Aunt Regina. She's a monster. Yeah. Okay. You knew right away. I mean, but maybe she has, I, I think that she's probably also like a very type A person that gets shit done. Maybe. Or like understands how to get Instagram followers. Regina. Ugh, she's just, she's such a pain in the ass to have, but then like she always comes in with like useful information. Right. And you're just like, oh, Regina, just like get out of here. And she looks perfect and beautiful at all times, which is why she eats nightmare whole berry cranberry sauce. Mm-hmm. It looks prettier than my like log of delicious goo, but like I feel like I won. I love a log of delicious glue. Don't I just we all? love to like open the can and just like <laughs> bam, right on the counter. It's like suction to the can. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. But it's like, Perfect lines to slice. That's where you slice. Yeah. Anybody that just goes in with a spoon is a savage. My husband did that. And I was like, I need to help you. How is it possible that you just dig in with a spoon? You, there are lines to cut it. You slice it. And I pre-slice it and put it out all nice. So you just have to use a little fork and yeah. serve it. Yeah. You know what? Next, the episode we're doing today, we're going <laughs> to talk about the real crime. <laughs> Cranberry the, sauce. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Then your friends and Aunt Regina, who likes monstrous whole berry cranberry sauce, can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Okay. And we'll learn something from all sides. Yes. Love it. Okay. I think that's all I have for this week. I don't think I could handle any more left in my brain at this point in time. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? I hope you all enjoyed Thanksgiving. Me too. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's Christmas time now. Yeah. Welcome to Christmas time. Welcome to Christmas time. We do have a bunch of December cases that reflect the holidays. And as I teased before, you know, every year we do like a Christmas mythology episode or folklore episode. And this year, I have such a fun one. I can't. I cannot wait for it. I'm not going to tell you just yet. Okay. But I will soon. I can't wait. It's going to be really fun. All right, then. On with the show. What do a ceramic duck, watermelon plates, an episode of 2020, and a bunk bed have in common? Mm, I don't know. It feels like something Disney. Oh, no. Oh. Like opposite. Oh, boy. Yeah. For the most part, they have nothing in common. But in this case, they are all integral turning points in one of the twistiest cases we have ever covered. It may seem at times like I'm throwing a lot of random information at you guys this week while telling the story, but hang in there because it does all come together next week in the end. To begin, I'm going to tell you all three stories. The first takes place on November 17th, 1987 in Ina, Illinois. The second takes place on May 13th, 1992 in Charleston, West Virginia. And the third takes place on October 13th, 1997 in Lawrenceville, Illinois. The people in these stories do not know each other. And the things that happen to them have no explanation. 
Most of the time when we pull apart a terrible event, we can find some kind of blurry explanation. I mean, partially, that's that's what we do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We go in and tell these horrible stories because we are all interested in the why. I'm not saying they're ever justified or even easy for people like you and I to understand, but usually there is something there. This time, though, there isn't. These are not stories of revenge or anger or jealousy or even passion. Those are big feelings, and we know that sometimes we should be afraid of them. You won't be getting that here, though. These are stories of chaos and of sport of the hunter and the hunted, of random hideous violence in the safety of a home. You will want there to be more. I wanted there to be more. But I have to warn you right now, there isn't. And these, these are the cases that break my brain. Mm. This is one of them. There just, just, there isn't enough of, well, this happened and I like this and I knew these people or I did this. It doesn't exist. Mm. So in, in my opinion, that makes it scarier than most other things. Okay. Story one, November 18th, 1987, in a trailer home just outside of Ina, Illinois. A phone rings incessantly. Ina is a small and rural village, and there isn't much to offer in the way of things to do. The village's webpage, which is so dated, lists just nine businesses. Okay. Yeah, so it's like uh, resources, businesses, and then churches are the two things you can click on. Oh, boy. And there's three churches and then just nine businesses. Hmm. And they are two antique stores, a McDonald's, a funeral home, a barbecue joint, two auto repair shops, one that has towing, a travel shop, and an electrician. That's all you get. That's all you need. I mean, none of them are like a skating rink or a bar or a anything to do. Okay. An you arcade. Could, you could drink in your own house. Mm -hmm. You could skate on the roads. You can play video games in your own home. You can. You you absolutely can. You can't always antique in your own house. No, you cannot. That's Some true. people only have modern stuff. Some I mean, people have shit. You can antique in my house. Yeah. You <laughs> might need a tower. And you might need who a tow doesn't truck. need McDonald's? We all need McDonald's. It's yeah. the food of Olympians. It really is. <laughs> okay. All of that aside, there probably isn't a lot happening in Ina, right? Mm, yeah. You might be satisfied with it, but like we wouldn't really call it super newsworthy. But when something does happen, you can be sure that all 2,300 residents know about it in a hurry. Right. On the front page of their uh, web page. Uh, <laughs> on their web page, it's like church or barbecue. Yeah. And there was a murder. They have like that town squire that's just like, all here. All is not well. <laughs> yeah. I still want that T-shirt so bad. It's just the silhouette of the town crier and it says yeah. all is not well. I would wear that every day. Anywho, this trailer home belongs to a man named Keith Dardine and his wife, Elaine. And don't let the trailer park color your expectations here. Not that it should, but we all know that there is a stigma that follows trailer homes. Whether we like it or not, whether it's earned or not, there's a certain opinion that can sometimes be attached to them. Correct? Correct. Yeah. So I feel it's important to reinforce that this is a well-kept, cozy home on a large lot. There's no wheels. It's sided nicely. The lawn is kept. Outside, there is a metal swing set for the couple's two-year-old son, Peter. And eventually, it will be for the uh, also for the baby they're expecting in a few months' time. Okay. Which means that, yes, Elaine is eight months pregnant. The Dardines were hard workers and good neighbors. The pair attended church regularly, one of the three, obviously. 
and played in a musical group. At first, I thought this must have meant the choir, but they they purposefully say plays. So I think they were there like jamming with instruments in the church. Okay. Yeah. Good times. Elaine worked in an office supply store, which must not be there anymore because it's not listed within the nine. Hmm. Yeah. And Keith worked for the Rend Lake Water Conservancy District at the treatment plant. It's a water treatment plant. Sometimes finances were tight. Sometimes finances are tight for all of us. But the pair made it through and managed to save in the process. So they were pretty studious about their, their money and their things and building a life. Saving was incredibly important to Keith as he wanted to move his ever-growing family to somewhere safer than Ina, which doesn't strike me initially as somewhere that is particularly unsafe as it's a rural little village. However, in the past two years, and we're talking about in the time of this story, not right now, there are even more now, there had been 15 homicides in sleepy little Jefferson County, Illinois. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And so, realizing that their safety could be at risk, Keith had recently taken the leap and put the trailer home up for sale. That's the thing about Keith. It seems that he was very responsible. His supervisor at the water treatment plant would back that up as well. He said that Keith never missed work. He never failed to get the appropriate clearance for time off. So if he took time off, it was very planned. He was never even late. And so when he didn't show up for work on November 18th, 1987, without so much as calling to inform someone, Keith's supervisor knew immediately that something must be very wrong. And that's who was on the other end of the endlessly ringing phone, incidentally, in the Dardine trailer. Keith's supervisor. He had been calling all day with no response. And finally, he realized that it was unlikely an answer was going to come in the near future. So he moved on to calling Keith's parents, who were divorced. And that means that he was reaching out to each one individually. And he did this more than once. He would get them on the phone and be like, have you seen Keith? And they would be like, no. And then he'd call back a little while later to be like, hey, I'm just just checking in. Have you heard from him since the last time I called? Hmm. So this guy was very concerned and he was really checking in. boss. I know, right? And he knew his parents' phone numbers. There isn't a lot of backup on why, but they must have been like close or emergency contacts. But like, yeah, he seemed to like know them. Anyway, so I kept calling back to ask if they had heard from Keith or, or if they knew where maybe he was or why he hadn't shown up for work. At first, Keith's mom and dad simply said, no, they hadn't heard from them that day, which wasn't unusual. I mean, you don't speak to your child every minute, but then they moved on. We usually don't jump into immediate panic when someone cannot be reached via landline. And this is like, you know, at a time when we didn't have cell phones. But this, it seemed, was different. Eventually, both parents became extremely concerned. And Keith, I mean, this guy's calling them like multiple times. I would get really worried, too. And Keith's father decided to call the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, who agreed to meet him at Keith's trailer to see what was going on. Keith's father, Don, had a key to the trailer, to the door, so he could get in if necessary. This is saving the police search warrant stuff and having to break yeah. down the door. So they said, let's all meet there, and then we'll decide what to do once we're all together. Mm-hmm. Great. Good on you, police. That works. When they arrived, two Jefferson County officers and Don, the first thing they noticed was that Keith's car was not parked in front of the house or behind the house or anywhere in sight, which was odd. They knocked at the front door, but no one answered. Then they knocked again and announced their presence. Still no answer. Now, while this trailer home is nice and well cared for, it still isn't exactly very big. So if one were to shout outside the door and knock on it with authority, anyone who was home at the time would most certainly be able to hear it. Yeah. 
You're not like in a basement or in the other wing of the house. You're going to hear people even if you have on a TV or a radio or something. Right. You'd Which, have to live at like like Orange County, like those big homes. <laughs> yeah, you would. You'd have to, I mean, <laughs> if I have like a fan on and I'm floors away or something, yes, yeah. I can't hear you. But this, this is, that's not the case. I mean, frankly, if they had a television on, you'd be able to hear it outside. Right. So knowing this to be the case, the two officers and Don went around to the back door and checked the knob, and it was open, which is strange, and we'll get back to that. So they kind of pushed the door open and noticed that the house is dark. It's daytime, so it can't be that dark. It's just there's no lights on, really. So they shine the flashlight into the space as they walk cautiously inside. And as they do this, the trio were immediately hit with the overwhelming smell of blood. Oh, boy. Yes, and this is not decomposition, mind you. It's blood, which is very different. And while we may fancy ourselves above the rest of the natural world, at our core, humans are still animals. And we recognize that smell right away. Right. The beam of the flashlight traveled ahead of Don Dardine and the two officers, but not by much. And it soon rested upon the worst of all possible outcomes. There they were, Elaine, Peter, and the newborn baby Dardine, tucked into bed, dead. And Keith was nowhere in sight. Now, murder scenes, none of them are easy to behold. But this one was in a league of its own, which is why I remember it. The killing had been sheer, unrestrained brutality. Like, when I tell you this is brutal, it is brutal. Elaine and little Peter had been bound and gagged with duct tape and then savagely beaten to death. Ooh. The weapon used was a baseball bat that Elaine and Keith had gotten little Peter for his birthday. Mm. And this is not like I hit you in the head a couple times and it was like a masterful kill shot. This is like for a long time, I beat the shit out of you until you were dead. Right. This is a very stressful, horrible, horrible way to go. And the bat, that little detail is heartbreaking, but it's not the worst part of the story. The violence, blood loss, grave injuries, and stress she had sustained caused Elaine to go into labor. In the midst of this horror show, she had delivered the baby, a little girl, and she was two months early. In life, Elaine and Keith had not known the gender of their baby. They, well, I mean, I don't even know if at that point in time you could find out, but they were going to find out at birth. And Elaine had said that if it were a girl, her name would be Casey. So that's what we're going to call her here. Sadly, little Casey did not get to experience the outside world for very long. Moments after she was born, she was given the exact same treatment as her mother and brother. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, like, the most violent thing I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah. And we've done some aggressively violent cases, but I don't know of anything as insane as, like, violence enacted so harshly that it causes the victim to give birth. Yeah. Oh, Oof. my God. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Some accounts suggest that Casey was ripped from her mother's womb or that Elaine was sexually mutilated, but neither of these things are true. Casey was delivered naturally because of stress and other mm -hmm. things in the things that were happening. And I don't, I think if anyone mistaked her for being sexually mutilated, it was because she had just given birth. Right. Yeah. That isn't easy no. on your lady parts. So we're going to just. At the scene, there were no signs of forced entry, but 
that wasn't a big surprise given that the back door had been unlocked. They just walked right into it, which was unusual. And we'll get back to that shortly. Nothing had been stolen either. A VCR, television, and portable camera were visible from the scene of the crime. So from where the bodies were, you could look over into the living room and be like, oh, they have all of this stuff. If this was a burglary, it would be gone. Right. And then in the next room, in the bedroom, there was very easily accessible jewelry and cash. Nothing had been locked in a safe. It wasn't as much as buried in a drawer. Everything was right there. But whoever did this chose not to take it. That's not what they were there for. Once the medical examiner conducted an autopsy, they were able to confirm that the crimes had not been sexual in nature either, so no one had been sexually assaulted. This was violence just for the sake of violence. The victims died of their injuries, which all included extensive damage to their skull. And furthermore, the victims had been tucked into bed post-mortem. Now, usually this kind of behavior indicates that the killer has an emotional attachment to the victim. We've said this before. If you cover them up afterwards, it's probably because you have guilt or remorse or you, you know, had feelings for this person in life. Mm, that one just seems more like a display. Ah, uh, I mean, they were like covered up. So oh, yes and no. When you say like tucked into bed, though, that makes me think they were like put to bed in like a you know, display-ish way. They, there are no accounts that explain it further than that. Every single yeah. account, every article Police reports, they all say the same thing. They were tucked into bed. Yeah. I believe from what I, from everything I've read that this means they were all put in the same bed and then covers were put over top of them. Right. But the way that that sounds yeah, no, tucked I know. in, it sounds like they were and, like and maybe they were tucked into bed. Maybe they were. There's no documents that can yeah. tell me one way or the other. Just okay. uh, if I had to, if I was a betting person, I would just say they had been covered up. And yeah. that's the phraseology they used to soften the blow of this horrible scene. Okay. But maybe not. Now, one person who most certainly did have an emotional attachment to all three victims was not present at the scene. So the one question that was on everyone's mind at this point was, where was Keith Dardine? Right. Yeah. I mean, this seems obvious. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, there isn't much of a precedent for this kind of violence, but when an entire family has been annihilated, it's usually a pretty safe assumption that the missing husband did it. It's always the husband. It, the husband always did it. And this mm -hmm. is very like John List where it's like violent, but they were all put in one mm -hmm. place together purposefully and like covered up. That's exactly mm -hmm. how the List family was. So, you know, that's where we seem to be going. Mm -hmm. Now, while investigators continued to process the scene, other officers were dispatched to Keith's mother's house where they thought he might be hiding out. But true to her word, Keith's mother had not heard from her son that day. I mean, she told them that on the phone and she didn't know where he was. Now, I imagine this whole thing was also insanely traumatizing for her because first his boss is like, where is he? Do you know where he is? Where is he? Do you know where he is? Then the cops are involved. Then the cops show up at her house and they're like, is he hiding here? Right. What a roller coaster to be on. I know. That's so crazy. Wow. So police, they believe her. They're like, all right, he's, he's not here. And this woman is freaking the fuck out. It's not, that's not what this is. So they then comb the area for any sign of Keith or his car. Because remember, his car's not there either. But they kept coming up empty. Canvassing the neighbors didn't turn anything up either. Keith was very well-liked. Not a single person had one negative thing to say about him. They still don't. Nor did they think he was capable of any malicious actions. But Keith had also been extremely vigilant when it came to locked doors and his family's safety. Now, we had already known that he was planning to move because the area had become too dangerous. His neighbors also offered up a story wherein Keith 
had had uh, a young girl come to his door one evening. So it's they're already in for the night. The lights are off and stuff and they hear a knock at the door. Keith answers the door trepidatiously and there's a young girl standing there. She said she was stranded and needed to make a phone call. Could she use their phone? And this is a 19-year-old girl, right? This is not like a woman that's looking like she's seen some shit. But Keith said absolutely not because he was afraid she might have ulterior motives and he closed the door and locked it behind him and went back in his house. Right. So he he wasn't like taking chances on things. Police searched through the night, but a break didn't come in, in the case until the next morning when a call came in from a group of hunters. Because it's always hunters or joggers. Right. Absolutely. Like, or a dog. <laughs> yeah, or a dog. Recently, it's been a dog a lot. Yeah. But guys, just to be safe, like, do not hunt or jog. Or let your dog just run where you cannot see them. Yes. Just be safe. Don't do those things. You never know what you're going to come across. True. It will not be a mannequin. It's not a mannequin. Never is. Never a fucking mannequin. The hunters had discovered Keith's body in a wheat field near Rend Lake College. He had been shot three times in the head. And here's the kicker. His penis had been completely severed. Oh. Yeah. And not found? I don't. They never say. Okay. I think I might have come across one article that said it was like right on the scene with right. him. Okay. I, it wasn't like taken and done anything yeah. with. It just, everything, the language usually just says it was severed, which okay. leads me to believe it was right it was there. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The state of the body was shocking to say the least. The genital mutilation suggests that someone probably wanted to emasculate him or watch him suffer or to take something meaningful from him. That's like a, taking a penis is making a yeah. statement. The wheat field where Keith was found was also not far from his trailer. It was like right, it was not that far away, which at first completely puzzled me. Why? Why wouldn't the police check there? That is a textbook body dumping location. But if you're combing possible dump sites, you're probably looking for a body. And that's not what the police were doing at this point right, in time. Exactly. They thought that he was like the suspect. Yeah, they thought they were on like a like a manhunt mm-hmm. for this guy. But see, this is why, like, already I'm, I feel like the term tucked in might be appropriate because they were, like, you were saying, had the bodies been fully covered Mm -hmm. by the sheet, it would make maybe more sense that it might be the husband. But the fact that they might be tucked into bed, like, they were just going to sleep and they were just a family of three in bed together, which is so sad. But that makes me feel like it was staged and is something more... Well, I, I have the answers to some of that, which I'm not going to bring out for another couple of minutes. But oh. Well, I'm here. I'm waiting. Perfect. Police were pretty stunned that Keith hadn't been found alive, frankly. Because, I mean, yeah. if I were them, I would have thought the same thing. I'd been like, oh, God, this is a guy. There, there's one, or, one of two outcomes here. Either this guy killed his whole family and ran away, or he killed his whole family and then killed himself. And if we find him dead, we're finding a very obvious suicide. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this was at all. There's no way he could have done this stuff to himself. No way at all. Or they find the guy, he's alive, and he has to, like, also be around his whole family that was just killed. Yeah. So either way, it mm-hmm. may actually be better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Ugh. Yep. It all looked like a classic case of the husband did it, but it wasn't. A few hours later, the police recovered Keith's car outside another police station just 11 miles away from the Dardines' home. Now, this one really is puzzling to me. Because the cops were looking for this car. There was a search, which means there was a bulletin put out for a red 1981 Plymouth. So logic tells me that cops would be 
looking for this car and traffic cops would be like keeping an eye out to possibly stop it if they see it on the road. That's how you catch guys like that. And it was parked outside a police department 11 miles away and they didn't see it. That's so weird. I mean, like parked out in front of it. It wasn't like in the distance. It was there. But was that like 11 miles away? So is that like the same police department? Or no, a different police it's department? one police department over. But my, my thought is that like, if you're putting out a bulletin and yeah. you're looking for a car, it's going to go to the neighboring police station. You're going to say, hey, keep an eye out for this automobile. We're looking for it. So if you see it in traffic, pull them over. Maybe it wasn't there yet. No, it was. <laughs> okay. It had been there overnight. We'll get to that later. But they didn't, they didn't see it. Come on, cops. Whatever. It just feels hard to believe, that's all. Yeah. Further investigation found the Dardine trailer had been splattered with Keith's blood as well. And autopsies indicated that all four members of the Dardine family had been killed within a few hours of one another. Mm. Elaine and the children had been killed roughly 12 hours before they were discovered, and coroners estimated that Keith had been dead anywhere between 24 and 36 hours before his discovery. Now, this suggests a couple of things. First, it suggests that Keith was killed in the trailer and then moved after his death via his own car. Mm-hmm. Second, this crime was most likely committed at night with the break-in occurring while the family was asleep. Ugh. You know, I hate this. Just a thing where he Why like... Why are you leaving me with this? Sorry. Where he like left the back door open on accident. And listen, that happened to me in my old house. I, I was pregnant with Flynn. And Will ran out to Wawa in the middle of the night. It was like midnight. And he came home and he forgot to lock the front door and somebody walked into our house. Now, granted, I live in a shore town. I lived in a more shore town at the time. And it was probably a drunk vacationer who didn't realize which one their rental was. But still, waking up in the middle of the night and walking down your stairs, getting to the halfway point and seeing somebody you don't know in your house is awful. Mm-hmm. Anyway... Where it was first surmised that Elaine and the children had been covered up as a personal gesture, investigators now began to speculate it was simply part of an effort to clean up. The bodies had been moved into the bed post-mortem, so like you said, they were not killed there. They were killed somewhere else and then put there, which likely would have taken some time. If you're one person and you have whole bodies you have to move, it's going to take a little time. Now, while we know that the killer wasn't Keith, Police also speculate it was someone who seemingly had no problem hanging out in this house for a while. They didn't just kill and run. They, like, hung out afterwards. Mm. That's some confidence. Unfortunately, though, this is where the evidence dries up for the most part. There was no evidence of extramarital affairs, no gambling debts or family feuds. Of course, the idea of an evil satanic cult to blame um, was brought up. Yeah, I mean, we're in the 80s, so, like, probably Satan, definitely Satan. But that theory didn't seem to go anywhere this time, which is funny because they usually lean really hard into that. Um, And this is a great quote. Quote, a police expert on cults told the newspaper that the rumors that Satanists were responsible was untrue since such groups often would mutilate bodies more extensively, harvest organs, and leave symbols and lit candles at the scene of their crimes. None of these indications had been found at the Dardines trailer. And this is flatly hilarious. Yeah. Like either they knew what they were saying or they knew what they were saying. There's not enough candles. (laughs) We've done a lot of satanic panic this year. This has been like the year of satanic panic. And nobody has ever ruled out cult involvement because of the lack of harvested organs and candles. (laughs) But that's accurate, you know? I mean, you gotta, if you're not gonna put on a show, why are you even in a cult? Right. 
go do something else with your time. Still, they're usually like trying for anything to lean so hard into Mm -hmm. that. It just struck me as funny that they were like, no, not not enough of a a show for me. I know, it's so funny and horrifying. I know. The only other thing police could turn up was a very small amount of marijuana back in the trailer. Now to us, right now, that is nothing. Right. That's nothing. It's legal in New Jersey. You can have as much, not as much as you want, but you could have more than he had at the time. Small amount of marijuana. It, it was a very small amount. Oh my God. But I mean, we're in like, you know, dare times and everything was a big deal back then. And so this led some people to believe and some law enforcement to believe that perhaps Keith had been into drugs or, <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous to me, or selling drugs and had run up a debt or caused some kind of trouble with his dealers, and they decided that he needed to pay for whatever he had done. And so they took it out on him and his family for like a little tiny bit of pot. Probably just like, once the kids are in bed, we're just going to like have a little, they're probably waiting after she gave birth. Probably, and just like de-stress for a little while. According to Keith's mother, Joanne, quote, I think someone wanted Keith to sell drugs and he refused, or there's a possibility someone liked Elaine and she wouldn't accept his advances and he took out his rage on both of them. We just don't know. And that's really all they had to go on. Mm-hmm. Police claimed they just had nothing, which also feels nuts because nothing that violent happens without the person on the other end of the bat sustaining at least a little injury. You're fighting people with a bat. Yeah. It's highly like unlikely that no blood or DNA or spit or something would have been recovered and at the very least recorded and kept until such a time that they could identify it. Mm-hmm. But not here. Nothing. That bet, it didn't have fingerprints on There was nothing anywhere? That's so unbelievable to me. The seemingly random nature of this crime left Franklin and Jefferson County, Illinois, in a state of absolute panic. People, like the citizens, all began, they had gun racks on their cars, like, because a lot of them were hunters, were in, like, a rural area, but everybody just began to keep them loaded all the time. So people's cars were decked out in guns, people were openly carrying guns, um, and a lot of citizens of the town stopped sleeping. They were very paranoid, and they would just, like, kind of stay up all night, and everybody's carrying guns. So it was, like, a kind of stressful situation to be in for a good long time there. I don't blame them either. It's scary. People were terrified they could be next. So... The urgency to solve this case was there. It just never happened. Mm. Story number two. May 13th, 1992, Charleston, West Virginia. 19-year-old Fabian Witherspoon was walking to her friend's apartment on this sunny spring day. Charleston, the capital city, is large, scenic, steeped in history, and heavily populated. Very much the opposite of Ina, Illinois. So we're in like the polar opposite venue as we were in the last story. Here, there were plenty of people around, lots of businesses, and relatively constant traffic. Fabian is a kind-hearted soul, so when she spotted a young man under an overpass holding a sign that read, We'll work for food, her heart went out to him. Fabian approached the young man, who didn't appear to be much older than she, and he showed her photos he had posted to the sign. So they're on the sign that says, We'll work for food. And the photos are of a woman and some young children, who he told Fabian were his wife and kids. He had come on hard times and needed to make sure his kids never went hungry. It's a very sympathetic thing to say. You bring in the wife and kids and you're pulling on heartstrings right away. I don't know. I'd be like, Oh, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. This is wild. Yeah, I know. I'd be like, no. Fabian knew she had to help, 
and told him to follow her to her friend's apartment where she would be able to give him some food. He thanked her and the two walked the short distance to the apartment. Fabian's friend wasn't home at the time either and I assume this was a close friend and maybe Fabian had a key and perhaps she was meeting her there later or something. I don't know, but like the friend was clearly not home and she could get into this apartment. Yeah. Fabian told the man to wait outside and she would return shortly with a care package of food, which is kind of ballsy to be giving someone else's groceries away. But she must have really felt compelled to help this person. Obviously, things just went down from there. This is not just like, I mean, it's not the 70s. No, it's the 90s. I know. She just brought home a homeless man? Yes, she did. To her friend's house? To her friend's house. By herself. By herself to give away her friend's food. Okay. It is not, let me put it this way. This is a very kind, sympathetic woman. Yes. And she has a huge heart. It's just beyond the realm of actions. Yeah. I can't. I would never take those actions. So to us, it seems a little far-fetched. Like, I would, I could even understand, like, Maybe seeing, especially like if it, if this is like your hometown mm-hmm. and maybe you're not used to seeing somebody there too, like even to just be like, oh, maybe on my walk back, I'll like bring something or leave something. Right. That, that Again. But to like take them. To take in. them with you. Be like, follow me to my friend's house where I will get you food. That's to me seems like an invitation, but. It's just, yeah. It's, it's just, just it different just experiences. Feel, I know. I know. It's just, oh. But I think this uh. also, that also speaks to, this is a very kind, naive human mm-hmm. who just thought she was doing a huge Felt very kindness. safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that says something about the town. And, and about the man safe. who yeah. made her feel like, oh, well, this is a, a father right. who fell on hard times and I'm totally safe in his presence. So they go off to her friend's apartment and when they get to the building, Fabian says, wait outside, I'm going to go get the food, right? That's where we're at. So she goes inside to get the food. And of course, this strange man goes right in the house behind her. He doesn't wait outside. And he walks in the door, closes the door, and locks it behind him. Yeah. Yep. Then he grabs a knife from the kitchen. She had gone into the pantry. They had like a separate pantry area. So he went into the kitchen, got a knife, accosted her, and forced her into the bathroom to attempt to rape her. Which in my experience is what I'd be like, that's what's going to happen to me no matter what. Yes. Fabian later recalled in an interview, quote, I just thought, okay, I'll get through this. I'll get through this and then he'll leave and then everything will be okay. But it came to a point that I was panicking and looking through the shower. And she also goes on to talk about how she's like, oh, I always thought that if I was the kind of person that if I was put in this kind of situation, I would just black out. I would just faint. I wouldn't even be able to handle it. But that's not the truth. Because after that, Fabian, who never thought herself to be much of a fighter, had a switch flip in her mind. She was not about to die in that bathroom, no ma'am, but I'll let her tell it. In an interview with 2020, Fabian said, quote, he had pushed me up against where the toilet was, and I saw on the back of the toilet was a ceramic duck. So I grabbed the duck, and I'm thinking in my head, in the movies, if you get hit over the head with something, they pass out. They lose consciousness. So I picked up the duck, and I started repeatedly hitting him over the head with the duck, and he was still standing. Fabian then went on to repeatedly hit the man with the duck until, as she told E! News, quote, there was nothing left in my hand but the beak. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Which 
made him, quote, really upset. After that, he did assault me again, but he put the knife down on the countertop by the mirrors. So when I saw my opportunity, I grabbed the knife. Okay. Yeah, she got real savvy real fast. Fabian then fought back with the knife, stabbing the man repeatedly. She nicked his kidney, liver, and testicle before the man grabbed a piano stool and hit her over the head. Mm. Back to the 2020 interview. Quote, and then I felt something come crashing down over my head, she said. And that's the last thing I remember until I came to when the police and ambulance were out front. So nobody knows how the police and ambulance got notified. I'm going to guess she just has a lapse in memory and called 911 because she was in this apartment. It's the 90s. There was most certainly a phone. Okay. We have, there's no like, and I've read all of the accounts of this. There's nowhere where it says, and then the police were called. They just, she wakes up and they're there. Wow. Yeah. However hard the man had hit Fabian, it couldn't compete with the injuries he himself had sustained. There are pictures of this crime scene, like the stairwell in this apartment building, and it is just covered in blood. Like she got him good. So do you think if it's an apartment building Mm -hmm. and there's blood, there could also be a case made that maybe somebody in the apartment, because if there's no saying of who called the police or how the police got there, maybe somebody in the apartment building just saw blood. Maybe. It could be. Because the stairwell was like, it's really bloody. Yeah. Um, and the guy was running out. Or yeah, Or, yeah, blood. they could have heard a struggle. Yeah. Something happened where police were yeah. notified and she woke up when they arrived. Yeah. So the injuries the man has sustained, though, they were pretty intense, obviously. And he tried to run, but at some point he just couldn't anymore. Okay. He just kind of like ended up collapsing with like his injuries. a lot of blood probably. Yeah, and, and he was, and he had a lot of injuries. So it's yeah. going to be hard and painful to move. Right. And he ended up in the ICU, which I believe he, like, checked himself into. I believe he was like, I got to get to the fucking hospital. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, after that, he went straight on to police custody because the events were immediately linked. And Fabian could be like, yeah, that was the guy. Super easy. And this man, who had been in custody before for stealing a car, took a plea deal on a charge for malicious wounding and was sentenced to five years in prison, which he would go on to serve. Just five years. Just five years. His name was Tommy Lynn Sells, and he was 28 years old. Oh, my God. He took a plea deal mm-hmm. just because he stole a car before? Or no, what What was the plea deal? Just to confess? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, a plea is like, if you say you did this and we can convict you, we'll give you this charge for this account rather than trying to go after you for attempted murder or something. I'm sorry, five years at 28 years old, you still have a fucking oh, life, huge. and this girl is going to go on to not have any life yeah fortunately fortunately a a terrified she's just gonna be terrified though fortunately she's done pretty well for herself fabian's okay okay she's doing pretty good but you're correct this is awful you're you're ruining this girl's life and you only got a five-year sentence which puts you out in your early 30s and that's absurd agreed and fabian had also sustained some pretty major injuries including a quote gape in her head and a cut in her hand that required surgery but thankfully she survived and all thanks to some quick thinking and a ceramic duct. Yes. Nice. Now, this got me thinking, though. I wonder if there have been other people who successfully defended themselves with the aid of an unlikely object. I mean, if I were in the same position, I'm not sure I would know what to grab for. Mm-hmm. Leslie, do you mm-hmm. have any insights into this matter at all? Anything to tell us about? Well, 
Yeah, Holly. So, okay. Okay. There are some pretty like common items that could definitely be used as weapons for sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, okay. I have a fireplace poker. That's a good one. Yeah. And, but that's more like an obvious one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You'd be like, this obviously is weapon ish. <laughs> it looks kind of like a sword or a harpoon. It really does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are just some other things that you're just like, in a quick pinch, this might be all I have. Okay. Okay. Help us. All right. So, for starters, if you're in your study when attacked. Okay. In the study, feeling classy, reading a book. Right. Grab a pen. An intruder comes in, grab that pen. Daddy it could savvy. be just a regular old pen or even like a heavier one, like mm-hmm. a stainless steel one. When you hold it, make sure that you use an overhand grip to allow for maximum force when jamming it into the attacker. Right in their neck. Yep. Um, also like underneath. like uh, So you should aim for the eyes okay. or other parts of the face. You can also jab the inside of an attacker's arm with your pen. Yeah. Um, grab their hand or wrist and pull it to a right angle and then jab the inside of the forearm. Oh, blah. Yeah. Um, tactical pens or a pen knife would also be an ideal option. Right, but this right. is just like, you know, your regular old pen. Yeah. Use you gotta, gotta use what you got. Yeah. Other things that are great is uh, a stainless steel coffee pot. Oh. Well, yeah. See, I wouldn't think of any of these things. Um. So... It's even better if you have freshly brewed coffee inside. Um, You would toss the coffee at your attacker and then hit them over the head with a heavy pot because, like in the movies, if you hit them over the head... They're out. They're out. Perfect. Um, There was actually a woman in Utah Mm -hmm. who uh, answered the door at her home and there was a robber who pulled a gun on her, point blank, and she reacted by tossing her freshly brewed coffee at him. She was like, ah! Tossed it right (laughs) in his face. face, um, Which caused the gunman to just get, like, discombobulated and just ran off to his car and drove away. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have a stainless steel French press. I yeah. don't have, my coffee pot is, no, my coffee pot is metal, but, like, not as heavy as the French press. That could do some damage. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's also, uh, okay, you're just, like, in your home, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just, like, relaxing. Yeah. Got some candles lit, mm-hmm. right? Always. Tacker comes in. If you have a concrete hand-poured 100% soy candle, that could easily be used to throw or hit your assailant. Mm-hmm. If you don't know where to get one, where would I get one? You could get one at uh, shoresoapscapemay.com. Anytime again, we can make it that's an ad. com. Get it. We are here to help. There you go. Concrete soy candle. Put a link in the bio yes. for that specific candle. Oh, it's got to be that candle. Yeah. Okay. And there's three different colors. I know. I want one. <laughs> and then I want to put a plant in it afterward. That's yes. cute. Yeah. Use it as a planter after, which mm-hmm. you could also use. Right. If you're outside. Yeah. Um, similarly, uh, a concrete soap dish that is handmade at shoresoapskma.com. Is this a long commercial? Would also be handy to have in the home in case of an attack. So imagine if you don't have the ceramic duck in the bathroom, wow. you might have a concrete soap dish that you could pick up and just you wham. You might. Yeah. Okay. Those are those. are those. Now, equally important, wine glasses are great for slicing your attacker. Sure. So if you are anything like me, you'll most likely have a glass of wine in your hand at any given point. And especially if you're just home with an intruder that comes in. Yeah. Um. So first, finish your wine, then break 
the wine glass on a table and just slash away. You also like look really intimidating if you just smash a wine glass. Yeah, you just chug it, smash it. And then it. hit it. <laughs> yeah. Your criminal is like, that is an unstable bitch. I have got to go. Yeah. This is why I drink in case there's an intruder. <laughs> You're just being safe. Candles are lit. <laughs> you light candles. You have all your shore soaps products. You have yeah. wine. You're like, I could kill everyone. I mean, also because if you have a lit candle, you have, we have one right now. Always. There's there's hot wax in there. Yes, there is. You toss that shit. Not it's going to burn. It is going to burn. It's going to burn. Mm-hmm. All right. Those were just some like fun options. Right? Sure. Now let's talk about some other ones, especially that we could use to defend ourselves, but we learned because they were used against other people. Okay. okay. Sure. So the best sounding weapon is a guitar. <laughs> in October 2011, Danny Kirk, a pastor of a Baptist church in Texas, was beaten to death with an electric guitar by 33-year-old Derek Bordeaux. When police arrived on the scene, they had to use a taser to subdue Bordeaux, who had become increasingly paranoid in the days prior to the murder. Probably because he was part of a Baptist church. I mean, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he used his guitar to beat his pastor. That's rough. Yikes. That's a hard wonder, time. Now I'm like mad I didn't look more into this because I wonder if he was, what if he played pastor? music at the I don't church. know. That's like a badass killing though. Yeah. You're just like, you just rock too hard. Yeah. And then Killer riffs. Yep. <laughs> Killer guitar player. Okay. A dessert spoon is can also make a great weapon. So when Richard Clare from Ferndells, England, attempted to rob disabled Timothy McGee, Mm. McGee tried to protect himself. As a result, Clare took a dessert spoon and hit him on the back of the head with such force that it ruptured an artery, causing fatal bleeding. I feel like she's a monster. Yeah. Like she has Hulk strength. No, no, no. Richard Clare. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's a very British, very British name. Richard Richard Clare. Clare. And Timothy McGee. Yeah. Timothy McGee. In Ferndells, England. I know. That's it's a very British really. crime in general. Yeah. I'm going to hit you on the back of the head with a dessert spoon with enough force to kill you. Yeah. Rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorites, this is my second. Uh, runner-up. Yeah, this is my runner-up. Okay. Bread. I always have bread. Like Carbs are important. Very stale bread. This is why you shouldn't have a keto diet because of this. You have to have okay. your bread. Got it. In 1988, a man with the most English name ever, <sighs> Reginald Hemsley Dodgendale, <laughs> perished. Dodgendale. <laughs> he died. Oh, no. Now I'm sad for him. I know. He was found with a massive lump on the back of his head. It's believed he was slain by someone wielding a piece of pumpernickel bread, which was lying near the body. An investigator from Scotland Yard was quoted as saying, Worst case of pumpernickeling I've ever seen. Pumpernickeling. Yeah. <laughs> I've witnessed the pumpernickeling. Yes. Worst case. This is the worst case. That that implies that there was another case. Right. Of all the pumpernickeling I've seen, this is the worst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the last one was so much better. Everyone survived. Right, right. <laughs> this was just a mess. There was crumbs <laughs> everywhere. No. All right. Now, this is my favorite weapon. Okay. When in doubt, use what you got. For me, that would be breasts. 
my boobies. Okay. You're going to kill somebody with boobies? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Here's what you got, Holly. I used to have a lot more of them. Well, now I'm screwed. (laughs) Donna Lang, 51, from Everett, Washington, had a lot of breasts. She smothered her boyfriend with her breast after passing out on top of him. No! Witnesses said they heard the man pleading with her to get off of him. (laughs) Lang, who was heavily intoxicated, told the police she had no idea how the man had died. She was charged with second-degree murder. She smothered him with her breast. Can I? While having sex. Is that what we're indicating? Um, elite, it, that's, I'm sure that's how it started. I'm sure, yeah. And I then she just have, fell over. And, and then she passed out. Smothered and, him and with she titties. Must, she must have also been like heavy. So he couldn't get her off of him. Wow. Or he was wee. Maybe. It was just a wee lad. Maybe. Oh, we're out of England. He was in Washington State. Oh, that was Washington. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Everett, Washington. He still could have been wee. Um, yeah, that's rough. These are things that I think about, though, with, like, my breasts. I'm like, I could smother somebody. I could kill you all. Yeah. Yeah. I've, like, thought about that because you know how that's, like, a fear with, like, a newborn baby, like, sleeping with a baby or Mm -hmm. something like that? I think about those things because I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't know if that would be safe. Like, I I probably couldn't have the baby in my bed like that to have to be. I would just roll over. Yeah, it's not recommended, but for me it was just what works. But yeah. That's wild. I know. But like, at first when you were saying it, I thought she like purposefully wielded them like, ah! I know. <laughs> I, but she could have, apparently. Could, I mean, yeah, if she did it on accident, I guess but she I guess could it have done it I guess it was just basically purpose. like dead weight if she just passed out on him. Oh which God. has to have been heavy. And she yeah. must just be like a larger woman. Oh, man. In my prime, maybe I could have. But yeah. You don't have as many now. Yeah. Wild. I'm just going to have to use something else. <laughs> I'm just going to have to kill people with a candle. There you go. Yep. A concrete Shore Soaps candle. ShoreSoapsGameA.com. I mean, if I had one of those, I could use it, but I don't yet. You can get one. I, Shore Soaps I could. I'll be your influencer. You just give me one and I'll advertise it everywhere. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I'll Perfect. put a plant in it and I'll show the plant too. It'll yeah. be great. Yeah. Okay. So now we know how to defend ourselves. Okay. Fantastic. You're welcome. <laughs> you didn't say thank you. But no, you're but welcome. I was thinking it. <laughs> I'm grateful to know all of these things. I'm going to like have a pen. We're good. Yeah. It needs to be a heavy pen. Stainless steel all is right. preferable. So this Christmas, when you're looking for a good gift to get someone, a nice pen is a multitasker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. When I was in Perry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we passed like a very nice pen store and I thought that it would be like so funny if I just like that was my gift I brought home for John was just a really fancy engraved pen. Except for John would probably be like, I love I it. Know. <laughs> he would have loved it, but they were like hundreds, yeah, no, they're not, not thousands cheap. of dollars. Yeah. And I was just like, I spent all of our savings on this pen for you. <laughs> Sorry, you couldn't come on the trip. Happy with me. Paris. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This was Paris to me. <laughs> oh my God, that's really funny. Well, now we all know. All right. Story number three October 13th, 1997, Lawrenceville, Illinois. Julie Ray had lived her life by the book, but things still seemed to have a way of going sideways for her. At just 17, Julie met and married a man named Len Kirkpatrick. 
he was only 18, with whom she had fallen deeply in love. Eleven months later, the pair welcomed a son named Joel. Marrying young may seem romantic at the time, but shockingly, it does have its pitfalls. Oh, does it? You Yeah, it's shocking. Are you shocked? Yes. Shocking to you. I know. Marrying young seems like a dream come true. <laughs> Wild. Nothing could go wrong. Never. By the time Joel, their son, was six years old, their marriage had fallen apart, and Julie mm. left with Joel in tow. Initially, Len and Julie shared custody of Joel, but Len would move on to be more financially stable than Julie. Len had a steady job as an Illinois state trooper, a home, and a new wife. And Julie, who was still getting her education, didn't have much money and therefore was forced to move around a lot. Because of this, Len was granted primary custody of Joel, leaving Julie with only weekend visitation, an arrangement she was certainly not happy with, but there wasn't a whole lot she could do about it. It's so sad. It is sad. Julie was in the process of getting her PhD. Her life would not be like this forever, so she just had to hang in there for a little while and follow the rules until things got a little better for her. Wow. Okay, that sucks. It sucks that you're like getting a very impressive degree mm -hmm. and this is, you're getting all these consequences of stuff, but but also I see that like, okay, okay this sucks, sucks now, but like I am on a path. Right. And it will be all right later. Right. I'm I'm making, I'm forging a better path for my family. Exactly. So I'm and, just going to yeah. put my head down. I'm going to go through it and it'll be better soon. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, it, it, it wasn't as though Joel was suffering. He had two parents who loved him dearly. So like dad's not a bad dad or anything. He's great. Joel spent his time in a very nice home and he wanted for absolutely nothing. He went on vacations. He did, he did everything. He was a happy kid. He had everything he could possibly want. But at this point, I need you all to bookmark the fact in your memories that Len is a white male police officer with money. Mm. And Julie is a struggling PhD candidate. Okay. On the night in question, Julie Ray woke up in the middle of the night to the sounds of screaming coming from Joel's bedroom. It was the weekend and Joel had been staying with her. Julie cherished the time she spent with her son. But after hearing the screams, she of course ran directly to his bedroom where she encountered not Joel, but a strange man in a ski mask and an empty bed. Basically everyone in the world's worst nightmare. Right. Julie couldn't see Joel anywhere, but she knew she had heard him scream. She just couldn't see him. The unidentified man, however, was trying to get away. And Julie, knowing he had done something to her son, gave chase. She ran after the man onto the lawn. And when she caught up with him, the two wrestled around for a little bit before the man backhanded Julie, and she dropped to the ground where she hit her head. Mm. So, to repeat, Julie chased a man in a ski mask out of her home because she thought he had hurt her or taken her son, right? Right. Then wrestled with this man, who is much bigger than her, mm -hmm. until he just shook her off with a backhand, and she happened to fall to the ground and smack her head. Okay. In that instant, when she was on the ground worried about her head, the man was able to run away. Julie struggled to her feet in time to see him pull off his ski mask and then disappear into the woods. Then she ran to her neighbor's house to tell them what had happened and that Joel was missing and called the damn cops. Now, yes, she did have her own phone in her house. But I'm guessing she didn't exactly feel safe in that house alone and wanted assistance getting the cops out there. Also, she was probably in shock and didn't know what to do with herself. And who could blame her? 
I wouldn't run back into the house. No, exactly. Especially if you think your son is now not there. This is important to say right now because all logical people would feel the same way. This man kidnapped my son and ran away. I don't know if anyone else was involved. He threw me onto the ground. He had a ski mask on. I shouldn't be alone. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It yeah. may, It's what we all might not even think to do, but should do. Right. Okay. So at this point, it's 4.30 in the morning too. So she gets to the neighbor's house. She tells them what's happened. They call the damn cop. Police get to the house very quickly. And they take a statement from Julie at the neighbor's house first. And then they go over to her house to look for any evidence that may have been left behind. There was no sign of forced entry. And police didn't see any sign of a struggle on the front lawn. Now, I'm not sure what a few seconds of wrestling around followed by a backhanding would leave behind as signs of a struggle. Right. I don't know that that would even mess with the grass. Right. You're wrestling around a little and then one person gets thrown to the ground. I cannot imagine seeing evidence of that. Right. Yeah. But still, police made a point to say that there was no evidence of this. Okay. They made a point to be like, well, I don't know that this happened. I can't see that it did. Which feels like a dick move to me. Mm -hmm. Upon entering the house, police noted that nothing seemed to be amiss. Nothing was stolen or out of place. When they entered Joel's bedroom, they quickly made a startling discovery. Joel was lying on the floor between the bed and the wall, dead. <gasps> no. He had been stabbed 12 times with a knife from the home's kitchen. So the knife is still on the property somewhere. Julie hadn't seen Joel and assumed he had been taken. Now, this image is almost too awful to comprehend. All I can think of is how absolutely terrible I feel for Julie in that moment. Any parent would lose their mind mm -hmm. finding that out. She thought she was running to save her son or capture a man who had stolen him, but he was still in the room she had just left on the floor. I, there's nothing, there's, that's it. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. How do you continue to even live? That is awful. Right. This, however, is uh, not how the police reacted to that atmosphere. That's not how they reacted to Julie. They had some very different theories and brought Julie into custody immediately. They thought she was the one who killed her son and she was trying to cover it up. Mm -hmm. An interview with her ex-husband only added fuel to this fire. Len told them all about their custody battle and that he assumed that Julie had become furious and decided that if she couldn't have Joel, no one could. Mm. And the police totally agreed. Okay. But then again, let's remember, they're all police officers, aren't they? So what's really hard right now is that, because you know, I you obviously, you obviously know more about this case yes. right now than I do. Mm -hmm. So what's really hard is that, because you have this attitude mm -hmm. towards it mm -hmm. right now. So... And maybe I'll get there, mm -hmm. but I can at this point mm -hmm. almost understand where the police would be coming from. Because to me, if there was an assailant that like left the house, yeah. like why did he kill the boy and not her? Why does she not have any marks on her? Like that's fair. And that's the only like so but my so right now that's where it's just looking at it. Mm -hmm. I could see why they'd be like, Well, she's still a suspect currently. Because it just doesn't necessarily make sense. However, and also legally, why would the husband or the ex-husband even? Because if, because assuming that it would maybe be the ex-husband or somebody, like why? Mm -hmm. Why would this boy be dead and not her? Legally, 
she should not have immediately been a suspect because there was no evidence to indicate she had done anything. Yes. Yeah. So the police should not have on site, having just found her dead child, Mm -hmm. said, you probably did this. Well, is that how they said it? Right away. They were like, uh, I don't see any signs of a person. We're bringing you in. This was not given time. Right. They made this decision and they stuck with it forever. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't know how that works. I don't think that it was wrong that they brought her in because I don't think that they should have let her oh, just, just go. just wait. I know, but, mm-hmm. but, yeah. again, I don't know how this would, this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. So if this was, if there was no, like, mm-hmm. weird things going on in the background, if you're just looking at, like, the main scene and everything is being done yeah. with whatever, the only suspect at the moment is the mom. See, you not the you only, can't use the word suspect. It's illegal for them to immediately do that. You can't. But I don't know that they, but if they are just like, we have to bring you in, they still need to bring somebody in for questioning. Yeah, they can bring her in for questioning, person, but they put her in custody pretty quickly. But I don't understand, like, if the... If she wasn't there, or if they thought that it was anybody, like, how come they can't think of her as a suspect? They can't use the terminology suspect until they have evidence to prove that she could have done this crime. And they didn't have that. They can call a person of interest. They can call her a bunch of other things. Okay, but they can't say she's a suspect. You can say they want to question her and stuff. Yeah. It is not ethical to make a decision that fucking fast, though. It just isn't. And it's also, in my opinion, maybe not in other people's opinion, ethical to immediately trust the ex-husband over her. Right. But I don't know. Right. And that's if that's like exactly how that happened. Yeah. That's weird. But I do understand that they would be bringing her in for questioning. No, the questioning makes sense. But just. Okay. Get two more minutes into it and you're not going to be as happy. So, like I said, Len is a state police officer. Never mind. And this should play into it, too. This is a woman, a flight woman, with no history of violence at all. She has no arrest record. She has no complaints on her. She's never done anything violent in her life. She doesn't have any record of lying to law enforcement. She doesn't have... They have no legal reason to believe she's done these things at all. And yet, they immediately go really hard on it. Mm -hmm. The only thing this woman is guilty of is having less money than her ex-husband, basically. And yet somehow he is believed immediately and she is sent right off to jail. The prosecutor is able to use the fact that Julie has Joel's blood on the pants she wore that night as evidence of her guilt. So they're like, well, you killed him. You have his blood on your pants. But let's remember, she was wrestling with the man who stabbed him 12 times and was in the room where he was killed. Do we think there is no chance that some blood transferred onto her pants? Like there is no reasonable doubt there? Come on. And I should add, there was a very small amount of his blood on her pants, like a little tiny spot. If she had held a human child and stabbed them with a large kitchen knife 12 times she'd have a lot of blood she'd be covered in blood nope she wasn't so why are you leaning so hard into this anyway these people don't want to hear any reason the prosecutor said quote to believe her you'd have to believe that this assailant came into her home in the middle of the night in dark clothes 
hiding his identity by the use of a mask for the sole purpose of killing a 10-year-old boy. And after he had accomplished his result, he pulled off the mask to reveal his identity to her. No, he pulled off the mask running into the woods because he probably couldn't breathe. Nonsense. Is it nonsense, though? Because I feel like we've heard other stories in this exact episode where random violence occurred. Right. Is it, prosecutor? It would certainly be a shame if this man had done that exact same thing before. And because of your negligence, he was able to go ahead and do it again several times. The prosecutor went on to say, quote, why would a mother kill her child? We don't know. We do know, though, that there was a long battle for custody of Joel, and she disliked her ex-husband so much that whether this was to punish him or whether in her own twisted way, she thought Joel would be better off than growing up with her ex-husband. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) You're so mad. I'm very mad because this man made that statement up. Yeah. There she never said any of those things. Mm-hmm. She never even indicated evidence of any of those things. Yeah. He decided that was true and then said it in a courtroom and then to the press. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about how leading that statement is, how much it's going to make people believe certain things about Julie that may or may not be true. The whole thing makes my blood boil. So Julie was tried and convicted of the murder of her son and sentenced to 65 years in prison. Oof. Remember the guy in the other story that beat the shit out of a woman randomly and tried to rape her and got five years in jail? Yeah. Cool. Shortly after her conviction, Julie Ray sat down for an interview with 2020, in which she told her side of the story, something she didn't get the chance to do at trial because her defense attorney advised her severely to never get on the stand. So not only... Had the jury heard this prosecutor's statements and all the stuff from her ex-husband, but they didn't hear from her, ever. So weird. Yup, it sure is. So her episode of 2020 aired and something miraculous happened. 589.2 miles away from Lawrenceville in the little town of Bedford, Virginia, a woman named Diane Fanning sat on her couch watching Mouth Agape. Diane was a true crime writer, and she was floored by the prosecutor's claim that an intruder would not break into a house with the intent to kill and not bring a murder weapon. Because as luck would have it, Diane had just finished writing a book about a recently convicted, very prolific serial killer who had done just that. In fact, this case was exactly his style and occurred just a few months after he had been released from prison in the area, and he was living there at the time of the murder. Diana spent a long time writing to this serial killer in order to write her book. She had studied this man. She had learned who he was and how he operated. So if anyone could recognize his work, it would have been Diane. His name was Tommy Lynn Sells. Ooh. And the rest will have to wait for next week. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So there's there's plenty more for next week. We'll yeah. tie everything up and I'll explain the rest of it um, and go into the rest of Julie's case, which is very interesting. Yeah. So that is, that's rough. Now, I guess here's my thing. It's this is where sometimes I have a hard time with certain stories. So like this specific like the this last one with Julie. Mm-hmm. 
it's like sometimes we hear other stories where it's almost the exact same way and we do blame like we're, right. we we blame the female but it's like we know the ending of this like we know yeah who yeah, the killer sure. actually was but what if that guy never showed up what if there was never a serial killer she would stay in, she would have stayed in jail she would have stayed in jail and would we have been like this fucking bitch you know what I, I mean? Like, know, when did that change? Like, would would any of us? And and I don't know what her. The thing is that didn't when it came to the publicity of her trial, and she was on twenty twenty. Remember, right? The court of public opinions was always divided. There was okay. never a windfall of people that were like that horrible. What there was no Casey Anthony of it all. That's what I'm like. They were not like, like clearly she killed her son. Yeah. There were there were a lot of people that were like, this woman did not do that. And you are putting her in jail for a long time. Mm-hmm. And none of us are getting to hear her side. Yeah. And <laughs> she's not even going to get to talk. Yeah. So that was, it, it was never like people were not unilaterally in agreement that she should go to okay. jail. They were, there were just as many people that were pretty outraged by her story, which is why she ended up on 2020. Because mm-hmm. they were like, uh, this feels like you probably didn't murder your son. Do you want to talk to us? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it just, and and when I first read it, I had no idea what her ex-husband was at all. They don't even mention him in most recounting of it. They don't say what his name is. They don't say what he did for a living. They don't say that he remarried. And they also don't say he said horribly incriminating things about her to the police immediately. They only talk about how he took two polygraphs and he was so compliant and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Great. But also, then you find out he's a cop. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's the last thing I found out about this case while researching it is the fact that that man was a police officer. Yeah. And it made me furious mm-hmm. because one, technically, that means he should know better. Mm-hmm. And and also, I mean, the, the brotherhood thing exists. And if a cop is telling other cops, this is my ex-wife. She was mad about custody. She killed my son. Right. They're going to go, yep. And they're like in their 20s still probably at this point because you said they've married young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Joel was, they were 17 and 18 when they got married. They had him 11 months later, which made them 18 and 19. And And he he was was 10 10. when he was killed, which means they were 28 and 29. Yeah. 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 So I'm still just thinking like the the immaturity too of like probably their divorce and breakup. Well, their divorce was rumored to be pretty muddy. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, also, that speaks of youth and everything mm-hmm. else in the world. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Rough. Mm-hmm. It gets, it's got pretty slanderous pretty quickly. And I don't care how mad you are at your ex. I mean, and I also can't, I can't comment to this man's state of mind. He might have just been furious that his child was dead. We all would be. Oh, yeah. That's, it's like, there's so many little things where I'm like, in certain scenarios, I right. understand how this would happen this way, but they put if there's some weird shit to yeah. like like plot twist, they absolutely put an innocent woman in jail and she served a chunk of that sentence. Yeah, and the whole world was told she murdered her young son. Right, it's a fucking game over. That's so such so a life weird. ruiner. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the part of me that wants to give the benefit of the doubt is also, like, the legal system should have done a better job. Because she never at one point in time ever said, yeah, I did that, or confessed, or, like, even said a single incriminating thing about herself. Oh, and a good footnote on this one that I didn't put in the story. In court, her police officer husband 
also mentioned that they had a very religious upbringing. And when she was young and found out she was pregnant with her son, she panicked. And for a brief moment in Mm. the beginning, she tooled around with getting an abortion. And the whole jury got to hear that about her, which if you have a certain set of beliefs, just makes you a child killer. Case closed. Yeah. Or it just, yeah, it just gives you a reason to think that, like, well, she didn't, she possibly mm-hmm. didn't want the she kid. She didn't want this kid. Yeah, which is not the case. No, and and they also, if you they have... go through nine months of pregnancy no. to then be like, nah, I still don't want it. No, and also that <laughs> there are a certain school of thoughts that you're just a child killer. Yeah, I know. So And, and it had no bearing on the rest of the case. It was mm-hmm. said in front of the jury. Yeah. And that's going to change all of their opinions. And she didn't even get to talk no. to. She didn't even get to talk. And this was something he said, well, she thought about maybe doing this for a time. Not like she did it before or she made an appointment. Right. Or that she was 17 Or years that it old. even happened. This is all just his side of a story that yeah. no one else in the world was there for. Right. It's Except a private conversation. she didn't get and to And she talk. didn't get to talk. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, it feels so imbalanced. It just doesn't feel like she got a fair shake at all. I think that's the thing. I think that his reaction is one thing. Right. You're allowed to react however you want when your child he is He can killed. go crazy. Yeah. That's fine. But it's it's the law that should come upon in. the legal system and the police yeah. officers to make better judgment when it comes to that yeah. kind of thing. And to me, it seems they like they it down didn't and they do didn't. It. They just like added to it. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the judge was like, but he might have only had like so much to work with because these people were like making it nuts. And he was just like, she's not going to get on the stand. The judge convicted based on a small spot of blood on her pants. Right. So I can personally say I don't love that judge. But that judge also may have been like, oh, well, I think abortion is murder. And so I got to get this woman off the street. Or also it was a political move and he had or to make somebody, he had to blame somebody for a child's death. Yeah. Or it was like, I can't go against a cop. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons that this judge I could have said. It, yeah. And I would say that it, it's mostly that somebody had to go to prison mm-hmm. for this kid's murder. Yeah. And she was the only suspect anybody was giving. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it's so not I fair know, to not fair. the person whose life they were just destroying in the process. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that she was going through fine, like, like being on scene when her son was murdered. No, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's all awful. It's really horrible. But anyway, we could, we could rehash it forever, but. But now I'm interested in the serial killer guy, so. Yeah, and I have to wait. Yeah. You have to wait 12 whole days before you get the second half. You guys don't, don't worry. No, this is just going to seem like next week's episode. I know. For you, it's just going to come next. But for Leslie, she has to wait a little while. So it's wild. So I guess toast? Yeah. Let's, uh, <sighs> let's toast to Julie Ray first because yes. I am righteously indignant on her behalf. Mm-hmm. So don't worry. It comes around for her. Okay. okay. She's all right. Um, Fabian? Yes. Ceramic duck. Way to go, girl. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yes. Um, to our boobies for being a natural born killer. <laughs> natural born killers. Yeah. I love it. Uh, then the Dardine family. Yes. Okay. Whose case will all come back around next week. Mm-hmm. There is a reason I told you that, I promise. Yes. So cheers to the Dardines. 
Do we have anyone else to toast? Um, well, seeing as we are actually recording this on Thanksgiving Eve. We are indeed. We are. Um, I would like to cheers all of our fiends because we are very thankful for you. Oh, we are very thankful for you. Cheers, fiends. Oh, and also, I don't want to get into specifics, but one of our patrons uh, and like kind of being family members oh, yeah. went through an unspeakable mm-hmm. loss recently. Um, I'm not, again, no details, but this was also someone that was dear to us. Mm-hmm. And uh just want to put, put them out into the universe. So just like give a little extra love, pay forward a little extra kindness this holiday season and give some extra hugs. Yeah. So we love you. We love all of you, but especially the family we're going to keep in our hearts. So cheers to them. Okay. And I, I'll see you guys next week. Oh, we, we don't have a tag. Nope. Oh, man. Because it's not done. Oh, boy. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. How do you say bye in Austrian? Auf Wiedersehen. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Auf Wiedersehen. There you go.